Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Knoll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Oscar Joffrey Jr., you are the co-founder and CEO of CoreChain, found at corechain.io. Thank you so much for being with me on Listening with Leaders. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your background. I know I, it, 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 we, have, we had talked a little bit before we turned the record button on. I know you're from Chile. Tell us, tell, us, tell us that journey and how you end up in Canada doing this big business that you've got going. Yeah. So how does a Chileno land all the way to Canada, right? <laughs> I went down the slide. Um, well, so I've been in Canada since 1975. I'm one of those uh, children that came part of the chaos that occurred in Chile in the early 70s. And, and our journey, yeah, it was a rough journey. Right. It took us about two and a half years, uh, skipping from country to country. And then Canada took us on. Um and when they did, they put us in a beautiful uh, province called Alberta. <laughs> One of the most beautiful so, on the planet. It, it, it is. It, it can be. And we arrived in September. I'll never forget. We arrived in September. Uh, here we're coming from plus 30 weather uh, to all of a sudden it's like minus 15, minus 20. It at least felt like it seen snow for the first time. So. No, it's a great journey. Canada has been a great country, home. It's my home. I mean, I've now been here most of my life. I was 10 when I arrived, almost 10. And uh, so I spent four decades here. I, I become Canadian like everybody else. Uh, we adapt by working and living together with friends. Yeah, you've got the accent to, to prove it. <laughs> I, I still have the accent. That's right. I still have it. Oh, you got the Canadian accent too. Chilean Canadian accent. Yes, it. it <laughs> the only thing I haven't added yet is the A, but it, sometimes it, yeah. in context. So tell us about your career. How did you get started and, and where you end up? Where What is Core Chain today? So Core Chain today is really, it's the amalgamation of everything that I've been doing for the last 30 years or so as an entrepreneur is, you know, the, when you're an immigrant, um, you know, it, 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 it's the struggles to raising capital as a company are the same, no matter whether you're an immigrant or not. But um, when blockchain technology came out and it was going to be transformative, disruptive and all that, I really saw it as a game changer. And Dr. Karan Garimela and myself, when we joined forces, we saw the biggest opportunity that really to transform the next generation where we're going to head with the private capital markets. And we created an, an infrastructure, an environment where the future entrepreneurs, or even now today, but you know, more as time goes by, to streamline the process, make it more efficient, make it more accessible to everyone. Um, and that's been our journey. Our journey has been to 
democratize capital uh, for everyone, make it safe for investors to invest. That's a big undertaking, of course, given some of the things that have occurred. Um, and and what Cochain has done is uh, brought, uh, you know, we've been spending the last six years working on this. So this is not uh, an overnight something that just happened. In fact, uh, just to share some on this uh, for you, Don, is that when we first got started, uh, being in Toronto, Canada, the birth of Ethereum, I couldn't get an investor to even look at our company and say, no way, you guys are crazy. This will never fly. The, the, this is the momentum. Everything is public. Everything is public. And I kept saying, the only thing that I, I you know, Korean and, and our team kept going, but it's called private capital markets, not public markets. So we went back to the to analyze the problem, we we took our head off what was going on in the markets and we applaud them. I think what they did was great. Obviously, there's been a lot of chaos there and we're still dealing with it. What we focused on was how to do it correctly, how to do it compliantly, how to use the technology properly and using the right technology to solve the right problem. So the core chain was the birth of that. The core chain is the very first infrastructure that's been fully qualified by the SEC. So what does that mean today? What it means this, it means that you can place your securities, issue tokens, issue digital securities or NFTs, and not worry about whether the NS the SEC is going to come knocking on your door, seizing your bank accounts and arresting you. That's that's what it means to be qualified or being shut down. And we why did we go through this process? Because we understood regulators. You had to appreciate what their role was, protect the market. Keep it open, and if you follow the guidelines and the rules, and you build around that, you got a happy marketplace, and that's coaching. So, who are your customers? So, our customers come in two different ways. So, the 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 infrastructure uh, has to have regulated participants. So, meaning we have broker dealers that are registered with regulators, uh, registered transfer agents, banks. So, those are the ones that uh, bring on. Uh, get on the nodes. They're the ones who actually uh, verify the transactions because they're the regulated participants. The final end, the, the next end user is the company itself who says, hey, I want to do a you know, $75 million real estate project and I want to fractionalize this to allow millions of people to invest. So that's ultimately the other layer of participants who pays. And the true benefactor is you. How do you benefit? Well, I just put in $1,000 into this real estate uh, company. I now have the ability to legally go to a secondary ATS and not even go to the company. I can go out and sell it and have a regulated uh, transaction occurred, make money on it, and never have to deal with any of the old traditional, which where I have to wait 10 years or um, you know, I have to wait for regulatory approval. All of that is done on the chain. All the regulated participants have the same information. They know who you are. They know you own it, and you can legally trade it. So, so the you, benefits. I was going to say, do you create like a market where people can trade, trade, buy and sell this, these, their interests? The infrastructure facilitates it. We're not the the. We allow the participants who have been given licenses to be able to do that, okay. which today we have. Uh, the United States is probably one of the most 
the greatest private markets in the world. I don't care what. I'm a Canadian, and I will tell you, it is the greatest private capital markets in the world. $4.5 trillion was raised in 2022 wow. in the United States in private capital markets versus $1.2 trillion in the publics. So it's pretty significant. So it's got a great infrastructure. We can all complain that regulators can do more. But right now, the rules are there. There is no other regulator in the world today that allows a company to raise, let's say, up to $5 million or $75 million from anybody in the world that is over the age of 18 to then have that security and to be able to trade it as freely as the way they bought it. You don't have to go through IPOs and private placements and or if, small, you know, if you're doing safe harbor stuff, you don't have to do any of that stuff. None. It's That's what I mean. So when the and, and now if you put that on an infrastructure that's immutable and protected, protecting the part, you made it even more fluid. And that's what we did at CoreChain, understanding that it wasn't just about building a piece of blockchain technology to come up with a protocol. The protocol is nothing. What it is, is understanding the problem. What is the problem? So Doug and Oscar have known each other for years. We know the old days, right? You right. buy, you invest in a company, you sit there, and you got to call the CEO. Hey, I need to sell my shares. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't do anything for you right now. Right. 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 So that that's been what we've had. And so, what? How does blockchain solve that problem? Well, it solves the problem by understanding who all the participants are and following the rules that regulators created. But here's the interesting thing: when the regulators created the rules. It created such a mechanism that you, if you understood how to fix it, you could give that fluidity and that ability for Doug to be able to invest in the company as easily as going there, entering it, to then sell it the same way. And up until, you know, we came around, that was not possible. And, but here's the other part. It had to be private. And this is the part that people needed to understand. So this is the argument that's been going on for the last few years. And we've stayed out of it because... We don't, you know, we, we understand that view, but we also listen to the regulators. So prior to blockchain, when Doug went and made an investment in a company, he would sign a subscription agreement. He would wire the money to the company bank account. And then the company in return would email Doug a piece of paper that had his name on it and a photocopy of the, uh, the share certificate. Right. And Doug began, hey, I'm an owner. Fantastic. And he'd sit there and wait. Okay? So that's the old way of receiving a security. And now, what did you do with that piece of paper? Well, most people would go to the lawyer and say, hey, listen, can you hold this for me or my account? Put it in a file. I don't remember ever putting a share certificate, folding it, going to my wallet, and sticking it there. This I make that analogy because this is not something that I get to use to whenever I want to buy something. It's something that I invested to receive a return on my investment. So I needed to make that analogy because the whole thesis of the other market is put everything in a wallet. A security is not on your wallet. A security is something you store away or you have somewhere with safety nets to make sure that you can trade them. And so that's the environment that we've created. We've, we've created an environment that has all the beauties of blockchain. 
has all the immutability, the protection, the, the governance, the protocols, all that. But the most important thing of all is following the rules that the regulars have put in place. So Doug has the safety net that, okay, I put in $1,000. I'm not going to lose $1,000 because this thing was fraud. I may lose $1,000 because the company doesn't execute properly, but at least it's not fraud. Right. Right. That's the worst. And that's what we offer. You are obviously very passionate about what you do. What is it? What is it that's unique about you that brought you into this business? So our journey into the private capital markets for me personally has been one of a number of stages. So the I started in the boardroom when, you know, uh, Enron collapsed and Briex collapsed. And what was the questions we were asking then? Where were the directors? Right. So in that day was, so what is it? What is the thesis of all this? The thesis of all this is access to information. And so in around 2010, I met the man that changed my life forever. I mean, I've been in the public markets thinking that was the holy grail, companies going public, you know, that was the, the way to make money. When I met David Weald, the former vice chairman of NASDAQ, and who is now considered the father of the Jobs Act, I heard him by accident talking about democratization. And it just opened my eyes. I was just like, I had such a different view of money. The way he was describing money at that moment to me, or to the audience, it just kind of changed everything. So uh, David really was my my change from having a view of that money was everything to money is not everything. It's a it's a path to the journey where you're trying to get to, and now you need to understand how money's been allocated all these years, and how significant this is. When when I met David, he was writing. The one piece of legislation, one little piece that took him almost 10 years to get the regulators. See, knowing this information, how long it took him to get the regulators to change it and Obama to sign it into 2012. And what was our legislation? General solicitation. And people go, what? General solicitation was the major piece of of, uh, regulation that changed everything in the U.S. And it, it, it created regulation CF, regulation A. And why did he do it? Because when he was the vice chair at NASDAQ, he noticed something really interesting after the financial collapse of the United States. Is that when it all came down to it and the collapse occurred, middle America lost everything. CEOs, people like you, Doug, and me, we lost everything. But guess what? A lot, right? Mm -hmm. And the bankers walked out with cash. And what he studied there is that there was a dislocation, misunderstanding of the public markets. Even me, I thought that it was the public markets that created jobs. No, they don't. In the last 20, 30 years, public markets do not create jobs. They create money. And that was it, it like he drove that into my head and showed me. So the other innovation, they don't create innovation. They buy innovation. And so understanding all these different things, and that's why we needed to create the private markets. We needed the private markets to flourish again, and it's working. So what is it doing? It's allowing anybody. Look, my most memorable company that I got involved when we were introducing the Jobs Act, a a lady out of, uh, I think it was Missouri, 
She wanted to raise $50,000 to buy sewing machines to build, to create dresses. The reg, if it wasn't for the regulations, it would have been illegal for her to raise money from anyone to, to fund her company. But because of the regulations, it opened it up. So my journey has been 14 years plus in democratizing capital compliantly so everyone has a chance. And at the same time, the other part of me is to make sure that it's always compliant. And that's where coaching comes in. Compliant, we can't rely on human beings. I'm sorry. We're flawed. I'm flawed. You are. It's, we, we've shown that. Greedy, greed is our number one flaw we have. Greed is good, but it can also be bad. So in order to make sure that we can continue to grow and put the naysayers of what we were working on at rest, core chain was created. Core chain brings that validation that the market needed, a safe environment to use the right technology and to give the give Doug that that power that he needs to know, this is mine. I own those thousand shares. It's legal. The company can't erase me <laughs> on the Excel spreadsheet that I don't know share. So um, it's a journey that I've enjoyed and I love helping companies. And this is just an extension of everything that I've been working on the last 14 years. How, how, how many people are in your organization? So in, in core chain, and there is 15 of us mm -hmm. and, uh, and our team is specifically focused on, you know, delivering the infrastructure to the private markets. Huh. So all you, you just try And then how do you get, how do you guys, what's your revenue model? How do you make money? So our revenue model in, in Cortine is really simple. It's we are providing a, a, an infrastructure to the regulated participants on a monthly subscription. Mm. We also were cognizant of the fact that not everyone we needed to make it affordable, right? So that was the, so it's monthly subscription. It's about volume. I mean, are you ready for this? So <laughs> in 55 years ago, a nice privately held company in Vancouver, British Columbia created the infrastructure that every publicly traded company currently sits on. Nobody realizes that. Um, what does that mean? It means that Doug and Oscar in two different places could share a, Hey, have you looked at the Tesla stock? And you would use your app and I would use mine. And the beauty of this is that both of us would look at the same information at the same time and see the same data from different sources. And, and it's not because of the internet. The internet is just a delivery vehicle. But 55 years ago, a company created an infrastructure that put all the participants. So that means all the stock exchange, broker dealers, are all, it's now owned by Broadridge. Okay, well, guess what? That only serves a total of no more ever 100,000 publicly traded companies worldwide. Hmm. There is today over 450 million privately held companies. Okay, that's global. Let's just look at the United States, 38 million. In the last 24 months, 10 million privately held companies were created. Wow. Every year, over 200,000 companies are raising capital. And here's the worst part of it all. Of the 200,000 companies that raise capital every single year in the United States, the only visibility, the only thing, the benchmark that we look at is 1,200 or 1,500 companies, and that's it. And who are they? The ones that venture capitalists invest in. So what about the rest of us? Right? And that's where all of this is driving us to, to show everyone that 
it, there's not just those companies, there's more than that. And obviously that part of the market uh, feels a little bit threatened by what we're doing. Why? Because now Doug has a choice. Doug can either put his money in a 10-year uh, fund or he can invest directly into a company and have liquidity whenever he wants. That's not bad. Well, it is, the liquidity is dependent on people out there being willing to buy the token, right? Correct. I, the, there has to be a buyer and a seller in, in all cases, right? So, um, and uh, the, the, the key is that um, at least now, uh, that's a choice that you now have where that choice didn't exist. I see what you're saying. Right? It's, it's it like anything not, else. It may be there are no buyers for the company because people don't like the company and so you're stuck with it. But on the other hand, it could be a company that's doing well, looks like it has good prospects, in which case the value of the company grows. And now there are people out there saying, I want a piece of the action, which creates a demand and people can buy and sell. Agreed, agreed. And Look, the only... The only thing that we can do is we can either be bystanders watching everybody else make money right. or we can participate. And what I can tell you is that in 2012, when Barack Obama signed in the Jobs Act, at that moment, the, all the money raised in the private capital markets was only for the high net worth, private equity, and that's it. Right. In 2022, out of the $4.5 trillion raised in the private markets, our world accounted for $151 billion. So we went from zero to $151 billion in the last 10 years. What I'm letting everybody know is everybody's getting a chance now. I'm not saying everybody's going to be a winner, but the point is you've got a chance. Maybe it's that opportunity. Maybe it could be the next Facebook. It could be the next, you know, Pfizer. It could be the next anything. The point is, if you believe in it and you like what you see, and and again, it's fully compliant with the SEC. They've gone through all the due diligence, and and you get a chance to put in a hundred dollars. I mean, that's really that's the 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 participation. Or maybe you want to put a little more, but the, the participation is small, so everyone can be involved. And I think that's a good thing. That's healthy. Right. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's just inclusion rather than exclusion. Got it. Got it. Interesting. So what gets you really excited every day? What gets me excited every single day uh, that we, we are one step closer every single day. You know, people ask me, where are we? You know, they give the analogy of baseball. Where are we in the, and I said, you know what? We just finally figured out how to draw the field out. They go, what? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a new sector. Look at the automotive industry. It's been what, a hundred plus years. We're only like 10 years old and people go, but how difficult can it be? When you have this many different companies, and think about it, there are lawyers, auditors, broker-dealers, there's so many different people. They're all fragmented. There's a lot of work to be done. It took us three, four years to figure out how people can invest, just people to invest. So we're not at the cusp yet. We're almost there. But when it does kick on, um, the accelerators that were really good, and, and I apologize, it's not meant to be in, in a negative way, but... COVID was one of the most positive things that ever happened to online capital formation, raising capital, whether tokenizing or not. So 
that habit has stayed with people because it's it went on for a couple of years. So in other words, people are getting more accustomed to this form of you know, raising capital and investing. So that's what excites me. It excites me because we're still trying to solve the problem. What excites me is that we're pushing the envelope of innovation. What excites me is that um, there, it's not a market that is decreasing. It's a market that it, it, it only keeps going up this way. It sounds, and sounds like it could be huge. It, it is. It's, uh, and, you know, we're just getting started in the United States, right? So, I mean, there are other parts of the world that are mimicking the U.S. They're nowhere near where the U.S. is at. But when they do, you know what it's like. I mean, it's just a, but the, the way to keep everyone together, you need an infrastructure. I mean, it's, uh, it's great to say that, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with mining. I mean, traditional mining. I mean, working in Canada, I learned a lot about mining. Right. Uh, and people go, why? What's so interesting? Well, everybody's got a gold mine. They go, oh, look at this reserve and all that. You get all excited and you go, finding gold, finding silver, copper, that's not the hard part. In fact, I learned that there's tons of that everywhere. Infrastructure is the problem. Right. They go, what? You got to get it out of the ground. You got you to smelt it. You got to transport it. You got to break yes. it commodity that's a saleable commodity you got to store it you got to insure it you gotta to <laughs> and you got to maintain the 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 environment right the water yeah, the, yeah. i mean you all can't of those tear up the land anymore exactly that's right i mean so i had a client that he had a phenomenal uh, gold deposit but no matter what would happen it would take hundreds of millions of dollars to build the infrastructure so private markets is the same Unless we have an infrastructure, we're all going to be silos by ourselves. Yes, the internet is great. It is not an infrastructure. It is a highway to be, put the information out there. It still needs to know where the endpoints are and how can you trust those endpoints. So that's what uh, CoreChain is doing with a little bit of time. And what we've done is we've added broker dealers, transfer agent. We've added all the different pieces. So we're already transacting. So we're already demonstrating. Now it just needs to add more of each of those pieces. So it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And people can contact that's the exciting. Yeah, people can contact you through corechain.io. That's the website. Correct. They can contact me there. They can go to LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, and I'm all the different places where I can be found. Exactly. You'll see my face. I'm not like most uh, people in this space where we're uh, hiding behind things. No, we we're, we have our address in, in New York. Um, our people are real. So, yeah, right. emphasizing right. real people. Our 30 minutes are up. And, I boy, this has been a really informative 30 minutes, Oscar. Thank you so much for joining us today. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. 
we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.